0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio we have Show, we have a what we like to call a from-the-field aspect to it. Sometimes I tune in from remote locations. Most of the time, we record from my sumptuous office balcony here in Las Vegas, which is also our recording studio. Sometimes you hear birds chirping in the background, cars driving in the distance, ambient noise. But think about where you are. When you're sitting in on a private mastermind conversation, where folks are sharing their brilliance and their passion, bouncing ideas, getting inspired by the other person said, creating innovations together that are greater than the sum of what each could have done individually on their own. That's where you are right now, tuning into Business Creators Radio Show. And I want you to have your pad of paper and two pens out as you prepare to capture those aha moments that will naturally arise and give you the slight edge as you achieve success in your entrepreneurial venture. Now, today we're going to discuss scaling your business by outsourcing your marketing, and we're going to define something known as a fractional CMO, which I'm pretty, pretty interested in, a fractional CMO. CMO, of course, stands for Chief Marketing Officer. Now, to guide us through this today, we have with us Amanda Rabideau. Let me tell you briefly about her. She built her career growing businesses using effective marketing strategy and sales practices. And over the past 15 years, she's worked with large enterprises like Dell, Microsoft CoreLogic, and tech startups, including CloudStaff, New Relic, and OraMetrics. Throughout her career, she serves as a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs as they launched and expanded their businesses. So she's going to tell us more about that in just a moment. And over the course of the next 55 minutes or so, we're going to discover this concept of the fractional CMO and effective ways to outsource your marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for now, let's make a splash. Amanda Rabideau, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: Well, hello, Adam. Thanks for having me.
1: And today... uh, Today, we're in uh, neither a remote location nor the sumptuous office balcony. I'm just hanging out here on my couch, and I have my two office supervisors keeping me company. Before we get started, what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is give our our guest a chance to share a bit more. I read off a snippet of your official bio and just off that alone, I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here and this is my show, but tell (laughs) us a bit more about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
2: Yes, happy to share a little bit about the the founding story of Arch Collective and how I became a, a fractional CMO. I, I got the startup bug early in my career. Uh, my first job was working at a startup, or metrics, which you mentioned. And I worked there for about six years in sales and then moving into a marketing role before I left to uh, get my MBA. And after leaving business school, took a variety of marketing jobs. And after my last one at CoreLogic, I decided to search for CMO roles at Startups, based in San Francisco obviously you know right there next to the the hub of of the startup community it made sense to do that and i i i truly loved my time working at the startup and wanted to get back to something more entrepreneurial and and during the process i at one point was interviewing with four different b2b tech startups all around their series a funding and it dawned on me i'm like wow they all seem to have the same problems and their, you know, enticement is equity, not necessarily the pay. And so I was like, you know, I'm like, I wish I could work for all four of them, have a really awesome paycheck and yeah. then, uh, and then be able to be so efficient at knocking down these problems and, you know, helping them grow. Cause they all seem to have the same challenges. And, and once I made that comment out loud to my husband, I couldn't let go of it. And therefore, Arch Collective was born and I am now serving as a fractional CMO for, for multiple startup companies and have been doing that for the last couple of years. And you know, there's a a lot of things that have happened in those two years that have, you know, allowed the the business to flourish and grow. And and so that's the the genesis for how I got started in the space.
1: All right. So let's begin by defining our terms. And that's fantastic, by the way, what you shared. What is a fractional CMO? What what does that mean?
2: So a fractional CMO is just like a, a regular CMO um, with as far as skill sets and having a seat at the table. But in, in my case, I work for multiple companies at the same time, so I'm functioning as a part-time CMO for multiple companies. Um, and in, again, in my case, I work only with startup- companies, and I'm happy to go into to why I think that makes the most sense. But think of it as just you know part-time CMO for multiple companies at the same time.
1: OK. Well, now we're getting into some of the outsourcing stuff, but you know, I've heard of this debate that even if you outsource pretty much everything else in your business, the one thing you should never let go is your marketing. I'm not sure where I follow that continuum. So what are your thoughts on that whole thing of which way should you go on that?
2: Well, you know, the the short answer is there's no one size fits all for any business or any function, you know, across every industry, every business and so on. So um, that's a pretty... Pretty blanketed statement, and and I'll explain why I think post Series A startup companies are the exception for why you should be outsourcing your marketing and 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 I don't even know if outsourcing is the right word I would use, but you know at at the stage in Series A, for the record, what it means is is a broad term, but when I think of or most Series A clients, they have some sort of product market fit. So there's there's clients that are paying, they've got a million to five million in revenue and and at that stage is in, when they've got the series a funding there's typically the it comes with the terms where the the venture capitalists or the investors are like all right i want you to triple your your growth this next year so i gave you this money i'm expecting very accelerated growth and there's rarely a you know leader in marketing that's at that company if anything if they have any marketing role, I always joke that it's the founder's younger sibling, and they're like, "Oh, I brought him in because they're young and they know social media" or yeah. you know, something like that. Well, uh,
1: we, we, we've we've all, we've all heard of that prodigious nephew who's in their third year of college <laughs> pursuing their marketing <laughs> degree.
2: You got it exactly, exactly. And so, at, at that point, though, they they need to start acting like a grown up company. But going to the origination story of Arch Collective, they often don't have the budget to to pay the type of person that they want to bring in. And so a fractional CMO at this point, I think, is is an awesome and amazing option for for companies for a few reasons. And, And the first is that they do need to have some sort of strategy when they're thinking about targeting their key audiences, defining their key audiences, you know, putting together a marketing budget, having a, a story that's consistent across all their platforms, and and just, you know, like I said, starting to act like a bit more of a grown-up company. And and you don't need a full-time CMO to do that. Um and, and so in in my experience, coming in, setting that strategy, sitting in on the executive meetings, presenting to the board just like a regular CMO would, I can do all of those things, I can get the systems in place so that by the time Series B rolls around, you've got a well-functioning marketing function within the organization. And that we can then bring in a CMO who can then spend all of their time, you know, living, breathing, eating that company to take the company to the next level beyond the Series B. So that Series A to Series B timeframe, I argue that you do not need a full-time CMO at that point. It's too early for you to do that, and that's why I think, and that's why I focus my fractional CMO business on that that particular space.
1: Well, and and again, if you could just be you know clear. With us once again, because maybe I missed a piece of it, or just so our listeners can follow the terminology. Uh, what is this distinction between Series A, Series B, and these things <laughs> that you're covering?
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So, think of Series A funding as is the the first injection of capital or fundraising that comes from outside of your network, and that's typically what it is. Again, there's always exceptions, but Series A funding is is when these founders are going out to the venture capitalist or, you know, private equity in some cases and raising outside money. And typically when you're at this stage, you've already gone to your friends and family and they've given you some money or you've used your savings to start the company. And then, you know, typically after that friends and family round that I just referred to, there might be what they call a seed round of funding or a small amount of capital that you get from outside of your immediate network and so Series A funding, it's its just the next level of, of where the business needs to be. And it's its just that much more competitive to get the money at, at that point. And then Series B follows on Series A. And again, it's, it's typically there's a whole other level of accomplishments that that company has gone through. And when that money comes in, it's typically a much, much larger amount than Series A. And so there's, again, the expectation of even more growth with that money that the investors have given you.
1: Oh, I see. I see. Now, so basically, this is terminology that has to do with uh, fundraising.
2: Yep. And startups. Correct. You got it. Got
1: it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Now I follow you. So, uh, so how overall would you quantify this as being a more effective use of capital? I get the part about how you may not be able to hire a full-time CMO right now, or that might not even be effective, but are there any mm-hmm. other economies of scale or any other efficiencies that we can gain as a result of following this path? Cause I'm intrigued by this now.
2: Yep. Well, one of the things that, that I think de- differentiates my business from others is that while I come in and I serve as a fractional CMO, so you're getting that executive level perspective and, and, for your business without having to, you know, pay a full-time salary and benefits and equity and all those good things. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of it, I, I have a network of freelancers that I bring in to execute on the strategy and the plan that I develop for that particular client. And, and this is where the economy, um, economies of scale get really interesting because again, these, these companies typically don't have a marketing team, or if they have a marketing hire um, you know, that, that's It may not be someone who's super experienced. And so for me, I say it's like a whole marketing team with one decision or one hire. And and why that's important is that you don't want to be paying a fractional CMO that rate for someone to be executing and doing things that a more junior level person could be doing. Uh And so while you get that great strategy, you also don't have to pay full-time employees to be executing on that strategy because I bring in my network of, freelancers to actually do the work and and they're going to be a lot more cost efficient than than I'm going to be if I was building out your email campaigns or writing all your copy or doing all the things that that you might need a marketing person to do.
1: Right. So what I like about this is they have somebody who can actually manage the outsourcing strategy without having to have that be like a a full-time OBM or 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 CMO or something like that. So literally fractional CMO Means that you uh, do CMO duties, but you do, but you only spend a fraction of your time with each company, and they only need to con, they only need to work with you on a fractional basis as well. Yep. I know this. Sound, I know this sounds almost self-evident, but I want to make sure we really, really cover this. So, uh, yeah, but uh, but then there are those who are going to argue that, yeah, but I need somebody who's really focused on how my business works. I don't need somebody who's pulled in 20 different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, th- 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 doesn't it make more sense in that case to, cause at least my, at least my nephew, God love him. I know he's uh, I know <laughs> he's in his seventh year of college and marketing is his third major. He's declared, but he, <laughs> he seems really good at it. I saw some memes he posted. I'm sure he could do this.
2: Well, and, and my, my response is that, yes, like depending on where he, your businesses, or what stage your business is in, you very well may need a full-time CMO who is breathing, living, and dying by your business. And that's all they do all week and, you know, all week long. Um, that in some cases is, is not the case, right? If, if you don't really have a large client base, if you're, you know, you're just starting, you don't have a large budget to work with, you know, and one of the things that that i've seen is you know i come in and it's like hey you know what is the budget in fact i've never had a client actually tell me that they've designated a marketing budget um i usually come up with that budget and and you know i've i've worked for enough startups and and even while i'm working for different startups at the same time you know there's also crossover learnings that someone who's dedicated to just one company May not necessarily be able to provide, so if I tried something that works at business A, I can leverage those learnings and say, "Hey, this might be interesting to do at Business B, even if they're in different industries right and so there's some of that cross pollination of ideas right. that can get exciting
1: oh yeah i and and that and that's the thing that folks miss when they want to bring everything in house or only have employees or or something. Like that is it's that cross-pollination aspect of it that you are actually learning from your CMOs experience with other clients they're working with at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and there is really no substitute for that. I, uh, I was in a discussion group a few years ago, and this was actually a conversation for agencies and the uh, contractors who have multiple clients. And somehow the conversation geared toward whether you would be willing to to uh, narrow down your business to just one client. Now, that, from our perspective, is actually not a very exciting thing because, candidly, I don't want to work with just one client. That would get boring really fast. And putting all mm-hmm. your eggs in one basket, I might as well get a job.
0: Right, so, right.
1: So when the conversation geared toward what, what was that worth for you, I said, look, uh, and this is actually a factual story. And, and the client who I'm referring to may be listening to this and they'll know exactly who they are. Uh, they asked me, uh, you know, what would, it, what would it cost me to be able to have me be your only client? And I said, okay, for one year, that'll be $5 million. I need to place an escrow in advance and guarantees on the installment payments made to be non-refundable.
2: Yeah, I believe that. That
1: would be your answer. And and, and, uh, there are some that are pausing and thinking, what? Well, let's look at the opportunity cost. That means for that year, I will not be able to take on any other clients. It also means I need to get rid of, so to speak, and that's how it's going to feel to them and possibly even transition all my other clients. I mean, the best I'd be able to do for them is set them up under the ages of a, sa- of a separate agency, which I didn't touch and somebody else managed. Now, how's mm-hmm. that gonna, now, now, what's that gonna do for my relationships? I'm gonna take a big hit on this. And then what if, in dealing with this one client, the eggs in that one basket all uh, get dropped and shattered? Now I have nothing. What if I die? What if the client dies? What if I get sick? What if the client gets sick?
2: There's a lot of things to consider. What if that
1: that $5 million they believe they have now turns out to not be there and I've just turned my life and my business on its head? Then we have to look at, I need to pretty much guarantee for myself that I'm going to deliver some amazing results in this client because the likelihood that they're going to renew for $5 million or even an increase after year one is candidly infinitesimal Even if my work with them results in them gaining $35 million more in revenues, I just know how the world works. So I'm going to need them as a case study for my marketing that explains how I'm reemerging from the underground and again accepting new clients. Knowing there are a bunch of people pissed off because I fired them a year earlier. (laughs) See where I'm going with this? So when that one person in the discussion group said, well, what do you do that's so special that you think it's worth $5 million? I said, shut up, creepo. Freaking get it. I mean <laughs> but yeah, these are now let's take that and let's stack it up against your concept of the mm-hmm. fractional CMO. You uh have the ability to build this thing as large or as small as you want it to. Correct.
0: You could keep yeah. your
1: fractional CMO business uh in the arts Collective to the point where it's something that you can handle entirely on your own. Or you could grow it to the point where you oversee it and others serve as the fractional CMOs, and you can be anywhere in between. I'm going to exp- do a little bit of candor here. I have, a, I have an offering called the Podcast Reach System. It's actually my primary line of business right now, and mm-hmm. it's our process through which we help entrepreneurs launch their business-building podcasts, their key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding, and uh, networking tools. So I designed the entire reach system in such a way where it's something that I can basically do for the client myself and it's no major hardship. I got to find like three days to devote just to them to push it through, but it's doable. And it also has the flexibility that it can move at the client's pace. It's also the type of thing where if I end up selling a whole bunch of them, that it's easy for me to outsource significant portions of it. And I have a network of people around me who I've exposed to the reach system, who understand how it works. Where at any time I could call upon them, or even do a you know a you know call for people to raise their hands, and I say, look, I I got like three more reachers than my do it myself limit here, so I need help with three of these projects. Who can come in and take the lead on steps five and seven for me? Now because yep. I have people who already know what steps five and seven are. And steps five and seven are something that anybody with moderate to good website development using WordPress and graphic design skills can easily accomplish and do a fantastic job with. It can go either way.
0: Yeah, so sounds like I, a great so, business model.
1: Right. So this actually kind of feels like, in a way, what somebody would gain by investing in the fractional... CMO, it's the type of thing where they can take or leave as much as they want. So I imagine if their marketing gets really, really busy, they can always just invest in more, get a bigger package with you, get more people to help.
2: Yeah. I mean, typically though, because again, going back to the the startup world, when I come in, it makes more sense that if they need more, then let's talk about building out a a full-time team for you. And that's that's usually, I would say, if I'm working with a client for for 12 months, six months in, we're building out, um, sometimes earlier, but we're building out a team that will be full time because there is a certain point, too, where just having freelancers, contractors, it's inefficient, um, at least from a marketing perspective and in and, and my viewpoint. And so if they need more, they I'll have a conversation with them, like, let's bring in some full time people. Right well i i had the idea you know while i was interviewing for these companies i having worked with these founders and and you know being in a way a founder myself you know i appreciate that look they're they're trying to do all these these things grow their business you know improve their product or service you know, recruit, grow their team, all all the things that they need to do. And while marketing is important to me, it's not the only thing that they need to invest in. So I do be, I do try to be very cognizant of, okay, if I, if it were my shoes or if I was the founder of this company, what's the best decision for the business? And so while, you know, I, I joke that I'm like at some point or another, I have to fire myself, right. Cause we need to bring yeah. in a full-time CMO. That's the idea. Um, Right. That's, that's part of the business. So if it's earlier than later then and I've done a good job for that client and I've done right by them for their business, then, you know, that's what I'm there for too.
1: Correct. So here's a, here's something that I enjoy so much. I want to ask you a question. that's a little bit outside of what we originally planned upon. I know there's still a couple other things we need to cover here. Okay. Have you ever been in uh those, have you ever been in business networking groups, whether they're online or offline, or, uh, or seen the following question? If somebody gave you $25,000 to invest in your business right now, how would you spend it?
2: Oh, I don't think I've ever been asked that.
1: Well, I'm asking you now, what would you do? <laughs> and, and again, and it doesn't have to be the most thought out answer, it's just what comes to mind
2: yeah, probably the first thing would be documentation of of systems. and it kind of uh-huh. goes back to when you were talking about your your podcast reach system, is that I do have a playbook. I do have processes. I have materials that that I use. and but like getting those creating all of the the templates and the things that I can very quickly deploy or easily use, like that look better, that look professional. I think that would be one of the pieces because yep. to your point, as I scale, you know, I'm going to need to easily train people on how to use these. And there's, there's some of that that's already happening and make sure that there's people are who come in are following my approach and, and executing the way that I would want them to and and using the the templates and the resources and all of that. Yes. But between working on clients and all the other things the business has to do, I always say like the cobblers, you know, kids have no shoes. And it's like uh-huh. my business, the marketing side of it and some of those things. I don't um, necessarily get to because I prioritize other things. So if I had $25,000, I would bring someone in to actually get all that done. And then that would make me you know, incredibly more efficient going forward.
1: Okay, I'll give you my answer. My answer okay. is I'm immediately going to look for ways to loosen existing cash flow, meaning cash flow that's already coming in. That will most likely continue to come in if I make no changes in my business. I'm gonna look for ways to loosen that, which okay. means uh, business credit cards got balances on them, pay them off. Something I can do about a, a business loan, pay it off. Uh, is there something that I know that I'm going to use for a year that, like, let's say, for example, an email marketing system or web hosting mm-hmm. or something like that? and within this cash infusion, I could pay for a year of it right now and get substantial savings. Take that 20%. Yep. Pre-purchase all the domains for another year, uh, which will save me time from the bookkeeping end because now there aren't going to be 34 um, ACH charges to GoDaddy every single month in QuickBooks. (laughs) You can see I have a little bit of frustration around that. All right. So the reason I take that approach is you loosen existing cash flow without making any changes in the business. And it immediately increases your opportunities to invest money where you need to invest it to increase your success. Now, I've had this, I've seen this question come up many times in discussion forums and at, at live seminars, et cetera. And you hear folks will give answers that they believe are the acceptable answers and it has to do with how you'd spend all that money on marketing it's like oh i'd run a facebook ads campaign or i would absolutely do google adwords with every cent of it uh (laughs) or uh i would uh i would uh buy a mailing list and i would uh, okay all right so you're gonna Basically, what you're gonna do is you're gonna take a one-hit cash infusion and put it in a one-hit strategy and hope that God it works. And otherwise, you're gonna have the same 99 problems if it doesn't. So, with me, my philosophy is loosen cash flow because now you can experiment with more things, you can try more things, you can invest in something like a fractional CMO. And if it doesn't work the first time, the cash flow is still there. It's still coming in. You can keep investing as you continue to own and optimize the process. Whereas once that 25K is gone, baby, it's gone. And you still got the debts, you still got the cash crunch. you still got the problems.
2: Yeah, I'm nodding. I agree.
1: Yeah, yeah that makes now, sense. Now I have I give that answer regardless of how the question is phrased. Even when the question is originally phrased, if you had 25000 dollars uh come into your life tomorrow, how would you invest that in marketing? And I say, and I give the answer I just gave. And they said, I believe I asked, how would you spend the money for marketing? And I said, yes, I would loosen cash flow because that will create funds for marketing. God draws straight with crooked lines. And I believe that, <laughs> I mean, and that and that's something that I see in the way you've created the Arch Collective and the fractional CMO concept is that it doesn't, It it's actually... I mean, in the world of outsourcing, it's not really non-traditional at all, but I believe what makes it very special is the name you've given it and some of the structure you place behind it. So do you have any examples of how, just by the numbers, I mean, uh, I mean, I can see the conceptually already, but do you have any, just so that our listeners can begin to view this as something they can invest in for themselves, uh, how, how would this... Uh, you know do you have some examples of some numbers that you've achieved, and you don't have to give specifics on companies or anything like that where they can see, yeah, this would be a real savings
2: um, well, I mean, from a savings perspective, you know it would basically the the fees that you would be paying to a full-time CMO are much higher than what you would be paying to me over the say like an annual salary plus benefits all that versus what you pay me annually if it was a 12-month contract the you know that's like easily 40 percent less or so right and, you know, obviously that's variable because what someone pays a cmo in new york city versus topeka kansas those aren't going to be the same rate so you know in generalities um you know where where you know i really talk about numbers is that the The results I bring and and this is between myself and my team, but you know, driving three hundred percent growth in the first twelve months. And this is, you know, as a fractional Cmo with a part time marketing team, you know, um increasing like in on some of the clients where we're very focused on on a digital growth strategy. It's like, increasing the number of website visitors by 600% seeing conversion rate triple you know uh-huh. seeing the revenue that's come in you know 5x what it was when they weren't using digital to bring in leads and this is only over a few months you know like so it's yes there's cost savings but you know as the the old adage you know you get what you pay for i argue you get a lot more than what you pay for because you're still getting you're getting these amazing results and you are paying less. So it's a, it's a win-win.
1: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think, and I think you're on to, um, I think you're onto a really good idea here. So I know this concept is uh, almost self-evident and we may be able to, um, we may be able to conclude this, uh, in less than the usual hour we have here, which is perfectly fine by me. Uh, but now I just want to, uh, really just take this to the point where we create the visualization for our audience. So how does someone get started with you? And what does that engagement look like? I have the broad scope of it right now, but Mm -hmm. uh, let's be specific.
2: Yeah. So let's say that, that you're a startup and you're nearing the completion of your series A round of funding, you know, what we talked about Earlier, And you are starting to hear the expectations that are coming from the money. Well, basically, you would you would reach out to me and I have an initial fit conversation. And then I have um, some educational videos that I share with with clients, because a lot of times they haven't worked with a fractional executive, whether it's marketing or finance or otherwise before. So, you know, providing some education around Mm -hmm. what it is and, and how I work with clients and then i i have a strategy session that i sit down and do and and this is my opportunity to deep dive with clients and and again make sure that that this is a good fit um one of the things we haven't talked about is that you know there there's a there's a really big demand for for these types of roles and so um it's very important to me that I, cause I'm working with these clients for a long time. It's almost like I'm taking a job with them, right? Because I'm, I'm gonna be in their meetings. I'm gonna be working closely with them. And, and so I, I wanna make sure that it's a good fit on both sides. So there's a lot that goes into vetting the potential companies and the time I spend with them. And then once we do you know, decide to move forward, the first thing I do is put together a marketing plan So that way we are aligned, the client and I are aligned on exactly what I'm going to be doing. And that usually takes the first month or so. And then beyond that, I'm executing against that plan and, you know, bringing in the resources as needed. So, you know, if we're doing a, we're like, wow, we need to create a video series for, you know, any number of reasons. Well, I bring in some video people, we create that. And then, you know, when we're done, we're done. And Um, I just execute against that plan and, and then, you know, knock down the, the obstacles that are coming. And, you know, at some point, typically, I start bringing in, like I said, I build out a team and I start, you know, networking around full time CMO hires and even looking at bringing in PR agencies and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's most of my engagements are around a year. Um, some a little bit shorter, some have been longer, but generally it starts with the marketing plan and then the executing on that, and then of course, like any job, things come up, opportunities, challenges, you name it, and then we just you know address those as they happen.
1: You know what I love? I love about this, and this is what, and this is what I've discovered is when I see agencies that will attempt to plan out, like, let's say it's a 12 month engagement, and they will attempt to plan out the entire 12 months, what that ultimately le- leads to is checklist behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. And what
1: I mean by plan out by the, fir- the first 12 months is say, at exactly this point, we will do A, B, and C. Um, our engagement will consist of tasks A, B, C, D through M, right? right? Yeah. But here's the problem. And this is also the opportunity. Is once you get started, you discover opportunities you did not know were there when you first began. Mm -hmm. Because A, you're still in the process of getting to know each other and you're going to continue to have more mastermind level epiphanies as you go along. And B, as you begin to achieve the results, opportunities you didn't see will emerge as a result of the work you've done together. And then there's also the market changes and you may bump into pretty much anything.
2: Exactly. I, exactly. Learned,
1: I learned years ago, the hard way, when I was in a different line of business, that if somebody wanted a list of the specific tasks I'll perform, I would say the specific task I'll perform is when we agree upon something that needs to be done, uh, we'll achieve it within the parameters we agreed upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, we, can, we, yeah. can make, we can make a list of expected outcomes. Uh, We can make a list of goals and we can even identify certain tangible projects you want to complete. Do you want to launch a book? Do you want to launch a podcast? Do you want to uh, start a content creation system for organic content content multipurposing that leads towards you having your book? Do you want to create a product? Do you want to design a strategy to build an online event or a physical event? I'll work within that, but I'm not going to break it down into my new tasks because that just doesn't work.
2: hmm
1: I'll tell you yeah, what. Yeah, Yeah, I'll tell you what gets you. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's that, you know, art and science, if you will, yes. of of marketing, where I've got, as I mentioned, I've got a playbook, and there are are a handful of things that I'm 99% sure I'm going to need to do at some point when I come into this client, and just based on my my experience. But what you can expect are, to your point, like the market factors. What if one of your competitors ends up signing, you know, the biggest insurance company, the biggest bank, or, you know, the biggest whale of, of opportunities, that's going to change things. You know, what if, yeah. um, when you you get some sort of press pickup, and so you can leverage that, or, you know, there's there's a whole host of good and bad things that can happen. And so... I like to say that the the playbook is the science, but the art is how I execute that playbook, just like a coach would in a game, right? Like you have yeah. your playbook as a coach, but you don't know how the other team's going to perform. You don't know how your team you're going to lose your best player, or someone's going to follow out, or whatever. And so you got to play with the game, and you know that you're that you're playing at that moment. And I I think it's the same kind of thing. So I agree. Like there's no way I could say, in month eleven, week three, this is what I'm going to be doing. And if I'm yeah. telling you that, then don't hire me. <laughs> Because how the hell would I know what's going to happen at that point, right? right?
1: Yeah. Uh, the last time I allowed myself to follow this trap was over 10 years ago. And uh, this was uh, somebody my firm worked with. And again and again and again, they attempted feature creep on us. Mm. Uh, like I'll give you one example. Install three copies of WordPress on three separate domains, activate activate theme, and create video instruction for virtual assistant to post content, somehow in their mind got transposed to copyright three long form sales letters for three products in three different industries. <laughs> Just little things like that, and almost me being, the and same work. And <laughs> yeah, and me being a and me being a generous person, uh, I no, I certainly did not do any long form copywriting like that for you know within that. But <laughs> right. uh, but you know you know you know firms that are intelligent enough to structure their pricing in such a way where rather than bean counting, it puts them in a situation where they can comfortably even go above and beyond and outside the job description because they know that they're being well taken care of. And the client knows that, wow, okay, uh, I know that I can call upon these people if I need something and they're not gonna be running a clock on me every second mm mm-hmm. yeah, In fact, yeah. uh,
2: my, one of my clients—it's um, my my newest—and yeah. when I came on board, they they had a big event that was coming up in a few weeks, and you know, like I said, the first thing I do is my marketing plan, and they're like, "Look, we want to have this big presence. There are these things we want to do," and so it's like, "Okay, well, I'm." your current CMO, fractional interim, or, you know, however you want to say, I'm still the CMO of this company at the moment. And so let me take advantage of that opportunity. Let me do some things, you know, and I was like, look, I'm going to create some messaging and create collateral. It may not be perfect because I haven't, I'm still getting up to speed on your business, but let's get it to a place that works for this event. And then, if we need to change it or modify it, we'll do that after the fact when we have more time. But let's let's make sure you get a good ROI on this event that you've invested in. And so, you know, but it's it's you know saying, okay, yes, I'm I can flex to what you need because you're the client. But I'm going to then come back and then do this marketing plan and you know these other things that that I need to do that will make for a more effective relationship beyond that. And, and, you know, he and I joke where it's like, at some point you got to let me do my job, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and everything, but it's, it is, it's like, he, he's a great client, you know, and he's like, yes. And I'm, I'm in the middle of doing the marketing plan now and, and whatnot. And he respects that and gets that. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like, I need to be understanding and flexible to take advantage of an opportunity that, you know, necessarily wasn't going to be part of how I typically scale with a client.
1: Right. Okay. So let me finish my story and then what you just said. Gave me another inspiration. That's what I say. Why I say our interviews are like mastermind calls, where one says the other, and it gives the other the ooh ooh
0: ooh
1: ooh ooh. I just thought of something. All right. So with this uh, with this feature creeper that I was referring to, um, I resisted most of it. And uh, although again, you know, I, I you know, I, I tend to price things pretty generously for everybody involved, so it's not a big deal to do a little extra, you know, because you know why why bean count? It's silly. I want the cup mm-hmm. of coffee. I don't want the individual beans. Anyway, uh, so I get to the point where I can finally verify that we have done every single item that was itemized in the agreement. And I and I made this announcement to the clients. And uh, and I said, okay, now it's time to uh, begin your sequence of follow-up and coaching calls. Now, bear in mind that over all these feature creep sessions, uh, I had said. Have you? Yeah. Can you go back and refer to the agreement that we made, mm-hmm. and check the bullet points on it and verify that there's nothing that needs to be added, subtracted, or deleted? And they would say, "Well, I don't know where it is. I, I I never read it. I couldn't find it." Well, as soon as I told them, "Damn it, we're done." They somehow, within 10 minutes, came back to me, and you know where this is going. They said, "Oh, you haven't done shit, pal." You haven't done anything on this list. And lo and behold, lo and behold, they happen to have the ability to quickly scan the agreement that we had. And it wasn't the initial PDF that I sent them. It was an actual scan of the copy that they had had printed out sitting next to their computer the whole time with Mm -hmm. their Mm -hmm. marks, X's, check marks, written notes, Folded corners, coffee ring stains, and everything else. This agreement that they had never seen or couldn't find her. Oh, I'm not really worried about it. So what'd you do? I said, I said, cool story, bro. When are we scheduling the coaching calls?
2: <laughs> How'd that land?
1: Well, I uh, I did end up having to have a separate conversation with them about uh, about uh, how I am. Uh, about how I have attempted to communicate with this with this all along, and I did not appreciate this one bit that them claiming they hadn't read something and it was obviously were pretty much obsessing over it, mm-hmm. and I had made and I had several times asked for the clarification that if this project has evolved such a way to such a point that maybe what we originally agreed upon isn't where this needs to go. That we could modify the sequence, uh, change the expectations, and either increase or even potentially decrease the scope of the project. But oh, don't worry about it, I I never really read that thing. Whatever, don't lie
2: to me. That's a tough one for sure. That's what, yeah.
1: yeah, I I mean, this is an outlier, but I like to tell outlier stories to illustrate the extremes. So the stuff in the middle actually doesn't feel so bad, but to me. This is what jumped out at me when you told me about your process. And it reminds me of a, of a, a process I had with another client, uh, one that's been with us for about seven years now, where we did have a 12-month contract where we agreed that certain things were going to happen. And then about two months into it, uh, they decided that they actually were not going to move forward with points B and C, but they still wanted to do A, D, and E, and they also wanted to add F. Mm -hmm. And they also uh, we'd also given them a graduated monthly installment structure so they could pay less more less at the beginning and more toward the end. And then they came to us and said, well, we want to change the scope of this. And we're wondering if we could just like do the math to do it like a a straight up just division by number of months left versus number of money left and just give you that amount. And I'm like, sure, I'll take more money sooner. And uh, yeah, I'll be happy to rearrange all these things around you. Now, what's made that a seven-year relationship and growing is the fact that we do that exact thing we described earlier. We identify main areas of work, but the goals to accomplish them remain fluid as needed based on certain circumstances. Yep. And, 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 And I feel very well compensated by this client and they feel well taken care of. So, hey, every so often, I'll just go off on my own and do a few extra things, and I'm not showing up with a change order yeah and they and they and they and they know that uh and they know that within reason they can call upon me for just about anything
2: yeah the the client management piece, you know, regardless of of what industry you're in or or what kind of service you're offering i mean it's it's so important the the proverbial over communication and making sure that everything's clear, it's like that's never more important than when you're in a client facing role, because if you if you have the conversation and this goes on both sides, right, good clients, there's bad clients, there's, you know, good um, service providers and bad service providers. And it's like having that, you know, continual dialogue and, and checking in and over communicating, you know, it's it's something and that i'm I'm constantly learning better ways to do it or, or trying to optimize my processes because there's a lot I know that they may not know and they don't know what I'm doing while they're not talking to me or they don't know necessarily all the time like how many hours and we track all that and and share it but it's it's um it's a it's a really critical part when you're in the client facing world to make sure that you're you're communicating and keeping those channels of communication open so it sounds like with the second one, they were very open to discussing and and then you yeah. were very receptive.
1: And uh, the other point I make about this is the reason I tell the tale of two tales is that's my own learning.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: sometimes we can only discover things by actually getting into them and seeing what happens. So one other thing that came up for me is back in the day, I used to do a lot of ghostwriting uh, when it came to email marketing campaigns, blogs, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I Also discovered just through the process of dealing with clients to see what worked and what didn't is that in terms of me being able to do that work for them, the idea was is it was supposed to allow me to work free flow and enable them to communicate on a mass scale without it being held up. So here was here's basically the deal I would I would make with them, and after I discovered the hard way the first time is. For the first thirty days, they will have the option to now. I'm afraid to speak very carefully. The option to review, edit, and approve anything I sign off on before I send it out. Mm-hmm. From the time I submit it to them from review, for review, they have 24 hours, or if I send it like Friday at 4 p.m. one business day, to review, edit, and approve. If they do not, if I do not hear back from them or they do not respond, I interpret it as approved and send it the way I wrote it. So they can't pull the old stick it in queue game. Mm, yep. After that first month, I get to send whatever I want without their approval. Okay. Yep. So let me say, whoa, I'm trusting my voice to somebody else. Well, yeah, what that does is it creates a time frame the first 30 days, in which I expect to be working very closely with the client to capture their voice. Because through that process of them reviewing and editing everything, I will get to know the nuances of their voice. I'll get to know what their catchphrases are, I'll get to know what their trance mm-hmm. words are, I'll get to know what their what their no-go words are. For example, if somebody were writing for me and they used the phrase, get more traffic to your website, everybody would know that I was ghostwritten and I missed it. Or if something went out under my name and the Oxford comma was missing, oh, I wouldn't hear the end of that one. So it's during that time period, you get to know those little nuances about the client. But yeah. after 30 days, we we cut free now. I understand that statistically. Once or twice a year, I'm going to miss with something. Uh, with one of my clients, I used the word Caturday in one of his emails. day catter day And Princess Alessandra, who's right next to me right now, will verify for you. Um, humans used to be trained to call it Saturday, but it's actually Caturday, the day of the cats.
0: Got so it, I, made, so I
1: made. So I made. So I. So I. So I wrote an email in his cat's voice. And I, and I, and I, and I had the email go out on catter day. And this was the one time he said, "Uh, dude, I don't actually say catter day. And uh, my cat doesn't like to communicate with humans. It's like, okay, no more emails from your cat, no more catter day. So the point is, you miss one once in a while. And I have one final thing. You got to
2: take some chances though, right? That sounds like a a chance worth taking.
1: Exactly. But it's also, it's also agreed. That um, it's also agreed that uh, once in a while, there'll be a swing and a miss. So you just point it out and they say, okay, cool. Got it. Peace. Got it. Got it. Noted for the future. Because there's yep. no way anybody can know everything. Also, when it comes to typos, broken links, things like that in emails, I also argue that it's statistically, you're actually statistically better off just absorbing one or two a year rather than worrying about it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen clients kill their marketing because there'll be like one typo in a subject line or one broken link that goes out, out of a hundred emails. And they'll want to have repeat, you know, multiple meetings about what, went wrong, what is our process, what quality controls do we need to have in place? Now I want to juxtapose that against another client I have who once uh, sent out an email of his own volition and had a broken link in it. And I said, dude, your link is broken. He's like, oh, sorry about that. Like, well, do you need our help resending it? Are you going to resend it? He's like, he said, no, I don't resend emails. Uh, if somebody wants to link that bad, they'll email me and I'll send them the correct one. There you go. I like that. Now, I also had a, another, and this is one of the clients I mentioned before, that was doing a partnership with um, with another firm to put on a particular virtual event. And it was agreed that my client would carry the water as far as setting up the promotional website and the shopping cart and what have you as part of the deal. And it would be done by, I'm going to make up a date March 8th. We already knew, we knew what the domain was going to be. There was going to be a new domain purchase for it and hosted and everything else. And everybody knew March 8th was the date the, the website would be ready for promotion for each side to promote to their respective communities. So on March 4th, Their partner goes ahead and announces the event to their community using that URL, a URL for a website where the hosting hasn't even been DNS yet, much less a website built. And we went to them and said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, 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 there's no problem here. Um, I'm I'm fully aware of the March 8th, and uh, I am confident that you're going to deliver an amazing product that's going to be live on March 8th. I just didn't want to wait. So if somebody contacts you asking why the website's down, just send them to me and I'll close them over the phone. Well,
2: that's, I don't not, recom- that's I don't the recom- exception, I would I say. Don't <laughs> recommend,
1: I don't recommend that approach either, but I just want to share that with our listeners. Uh, and the reason why I went down this little segue here is I wanted to address the implied question that I was hearing silently from our listeners, which is, am I really going to trust a fractional CMO? So I wanted to give them some scenarios under which they could see themselves easily opening themselves up to the possibility of trusting another person and some examples on how to manage that relationship in real time to make it effective.
2: I like, yeah, I think those are great.
1: And I I, I wanted to share that from the perspective of being a prospective customer of what you do, actually. Some of the things are going to go through my mind if I'm thinking about working with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, as we wrap up uh, and I'm going to send people to your website at the end here, uh, what is, aside from engaging a fractional CMO, what are some, what is one thing that you would urge our listeners to do?
2: Um, Urge them to do with regards to what?
1: In terms of what is one action you would encourage your listeners to take that will help move their business forward?
2: I would tell them to schedule time or just pick up the phone and talk to their clients.
0: Okay. And
2: the reason why is, you know, I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, I need to tell my story or I don't think I'm I'm resonating with the people I want to reach." And if you have customers or clients already, talk to them, ask them, you know, why why are you working with us? What's the value that you found? Who else did you evaluate? Why did you pick us over those other competitors? And and ask the questions and listen. That's the very important part um, of those conversations. But conducting voice of client interviews, I think, is so important. And sometimes it seems like we're doing it more than we are. But I I would bet that you know we're not doing it as much as we should. Um, so I would say pick up the phone and talk to your clients.
1: Oh, I think that's great. And what I want to and and what I and uh, what I would like our listeners to do is, if anything you've heard today sounds of interest to you, go to Amanda's website. It's it's at arch-collective.com, and that's where you're going to discover more about the fractional CMO concept and all of the ways that the collective can work with you. And with that, Amanda Rabideau, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. And believe me, in education.
2: Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate you having me.
0: We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.